The Truth News Network. Conservative thought, not just talk. Bringing truth to political lies, misdirection, and disinformation. TNN, the Truth News Network. And your voice in the storm is Dan Newman. Pretty sure we got something of a storm in our nation today. I'm sure you'll probably agree. I guess the difficult part of this entire thing is finding out where we fit what we can do, and what we should do based upon facts. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the last weekday of the first week of August. This year is flying by. Dog days of summer, well, we still have a month of them ahead of us. And in the South, that means lots of heat and lots of humidity. But one thing we can really look forward to with excitement, folks, football. (laughs) football will be back in just a few weeks here in the south as you know football is king at every level high school football teams have already begun to report for august training and school is starting in many schools around the state of louisiana i've got a grandson another one grandson number four yeah grandson number four who is starting his football career in middle school And I'm excited. Poppy is always excited. I love football, and I love the fact that my four grandsons are athletes. And uh, the top two have really proven to be good football players. They're through school. We have one grandson going to college this year, and two more, one in high school. And the football guy is in middle school, Weston. Witt, Wyatt, Weston. Who'd I leave out? Who'd I leave out? Walker. Oh, my gosh. They're all W's. Wyatt's the oldest. Walker, Witt, and then Weston's the baby. If they're listening or their mom's listening, I'm in deep trouble. I couldn't remember Walker's name. Wow. How is your week going? If it's going bad, you still have a day to make it right. The last part of any event, if it's the best part, you can make it the best part. You'll forget about the problems that happened in the early part of it. So let's try to do that together here today. Yesterday, of course, Kelly Nelson joined us for, I guess, about 40 minutes, the backside of our first hour of the broadcast and a little bit of the second hour. And she shed some light on a lot of things. If you missed the show, you can go back and get that interview entirely, and you can do it there uh, at the homepage of Truth News Network. Um, look at the index down, and there's a little Kelly Nelson thing. And uh, she made some recommendations for us. You'll hear if you listen to that interview, and you just click on that blue arrow link in that story, and it'll take you right to it. After you listen to it, you may want to access the information that she left for us, and links and information are in that story down at the bottom. We so appreciate it anytime Kelly joins us in person. But boy, let me tell you this. She is writing blockbuster stories of revelation. During the night, I got another one. And uh, it looks like in length, it's probably going to be a two-parter. And uh, we're still looking at our calendar to determine when we're going to publish it here. But she's been right on, folks. She's a historical monster. She is a fact-finding machine. And when she finds facts, folks, and she shares them, they're really facts. That's something we don't see a lot of. Even though 
all of the experts around us are very quick to tell us that they're the fact finders. They're the ones that know the facts. And every stinking liberal network and newspaper has their own fact checkers and they fact check everybody but themselves. (laughs) And of course, they're weaponizing it to do what? Diminish their opponents in media. To make people think they're the only ones. They're the owners of the truth. They're the only ones that can even tell the truth. They have the exclusive rights for doing that. (laughs) So in this week, we have watched carefully and closely every day to see what our government's going to do next. How egregious can they invade our lives, our privacy, um, our rights, our First and Second Amendment rights, our Fourth Amendment rights? And they're sure they may not have stepped across the line. In some cases, I think they already have. But even if they haven't stepped across the lines, and when I'm talking about the lines, I'm talking about the provisions in the United States Constitution that limit the power of our government. Well, Dan, if our government wants power, they can just grab it. Who's there to stop them? Well, constitutionally, folks, the power that they have, the only power that they have, is the power which the people of the nation the citizens of the United States, we the people, give expressly in writing to our government. Everything else, folks, belongs to the people exclusively. And yeah, they participate in all that other stuff, but their participation is limited to the fact that they're fellow citizens. In management, in government, the only special things that they can do are the things that we the people tell them we want them to do and authorize them in writing to do that. They don't want you to even realize that, yet alone think about it. They want you to just be quiet and just listen to them, do everything they tell you to do. And their justification is simply this. We're the authority. The government is the authority. We're over everything. We control everything. You have no rights unless we give them to you. Boy, am I saying that in the United States about the United States government? That makes me shiver. I don't remember another time in my life where I even thought that was a remote possibility. Even back when I was in elementary school and we were scared to death about the Russians and nuclear attacks. I remember we had fire drills when I was in elementary school, but then we had nuclear bomb drills where when the bell went off, we crawled under desk to protect us in case Russia, Soviet Russia, sent missiles our way. I'm serious, folks. That's as close as we've ever been in my lifetime to where we are today. That was just a drill. Folks, we're acting out what to do and how to do whatever it is that we're supposed to do in the face of authoritarian rule here in our country. And you know what the latest is? The White House is reportedly considering withholding federal dollars to private business. Why would they do that? Well, it's part of their latest push to get more Americans to take the coronavirus vaccine. 
If the Biden administration goes forward with their plans, folks, it would amount to a dramatic escalation in the effort to vaccinate the roughly 90 million Americans who are eligible for shots but have refused or have been unable to get them. The effort could apply to institutions as varied as long-term care facilities, cruise ships, even universities, potentially impacting millions of Americans. According to the people who spoke on the condition of anonymity in the White House, they're considering this seriously. So, when this all leaked out yesterday, the White House issued a statement that says, as we always are, the administration is discussing. Yeah, right. (laughs) We're going to roll this out. Now, how are we going to beat the American people over the head and into submission so they'll do it without pushback? That's their definition of discussing. Anyway, they said they are discussing a host of different measures that we can continue to boost vaccinations across the country. Any reported idea under consideration or in early conversations and are pre-decisional. There are no imminent policy decisions as to preview at this time. Now, let me interpret what that says. You can just bet your bippy that we're looking at all of the little cracks in the Constitution that we might be able to exploit to force you to get vaccinated even if you don't want to. That's exactly what they're doing. And they're rolling this out into the marketplace saying, oh, no sweat, don't be fearful. We're just looking for ways that we can just kind of cement us all together. And the interpretation of that means we're trying to find ways to make you shut up and sit down and just take a jab. Georgetown University's O'Neill Institute for National and Global Health Law Lawrence Gostin, he told Fox News the federal government would be right to leverage the power of the purse to push those who are exercising their freedom of choice to make them get vaccinated. Here's what he said, Gostin, he's at Georgetown. I think wisely using the federal spending power is absolutely right. The Biden administration's obsession with vaccinating Americans. Have you have you noticed they're a little bit over the top with their demands of this? I mean, even the President of the United States screaming at two governors specifically, Ron DeSantis in Florida and Greg Abbott in Texas, and telling them on national television, hey guys, you either get with the program or you get out of the way. And this is all happening about one little bitty vial of which nobody in our government knows the elements that are in the medicine that are in those vials. Did you know the CDC, the WHO, UDRA over in Europe, they have been prevented from responding to requests from medical authorities around the world even research laboratories that want a sample of the three, the Pfizer, the Moderna, and the Johnson & Johnson vaccinations so that they can analyze them in laboratory tests. There is not one 
molecule of any of those three vaccines that has been made available to independent laboratories for research. Why would this be happening, folks? There's something to hide. That's the only reason it would happen. But let's go back to where we are. Their obsession, the government's obsession with vaccinating all Americans, it's not even FDA approved. It comes as their lapdogs, the media, establishment media, has rung the alarm that not all Americans are complying with the president's commands. After all, he is the king. He is the dictator, Joe Biden. A news site, 538, ran the headline the last day of June, quote, partisanship isn't the only reason why so many Americans remain unvaccinated. Nearly half of unvaccinated Americans don't plan on getting a COVID vaccine. That was a headline out of Fortune magazine published two days ago. The Wall Street Journal took aim at young people back last month. Young Americans aren't getting vaccinated, jeopardizing COVID-19 fight. CBS News, they just took a page from Dr. Fauci, from his book, and called Americans freedom of choice. Listen to this word, one word, CBS said. Americans have freedom of choice. What they called freedom of choice, CBS News, inexplicable. Fauci says it is inexplicable some Americans aren't getting vaccinated despite data. CBS printed that. So it looks like, without any question now, the last day of the week, at least the weekday part of this week, that there is a joined, concerted effort from our government in combination with our mainstream media to demean any American that disagrees with them. So let's just throw that out there. That, my friends, is an absolute. You can book on that. They are committed to get us all vaccinated on their terms, the way they decide that it's supposed to happen, and even though the Fourth Amendment, and by the way, that little bitty thing, the United States Constitution says the government doesn't have that right to do it. And that, by the way, all of this kind of stuff has got to be passed by Congress, you know, put into law. Well, it's already there. It's been there since 1986 in one law that has been ruled again and again and again in cases before the United States Supreme Court. This right belongs to the people. It's a little bitty part of that HIPAA law, the one that we hate the most. When you go into a doctor's office or you check into a hospital or a clinic for getting some test runs, you got to fill out this massive mound of paperwork. And what the paperwork is all about is about the HIPAA law. What the HIPAA law says regarding me, me personally and you personally, not regarding the government or anybody else, But as far as you're concerned and I'm concerned, everything to do with our health belongs to us exclusively unless we voluntarily choose to give someone else the rights that we expressly sign to them in writing. The government has no power, no authority 
to do anything else other than what we expressly tell them they can do regarding our health. That's the law, folks. I'm not pulling this out of the air. I didn't go dig something up. The HIPAA law includes that provision, and it was designed originally, oddly enough, so that when an individual left one insurance company and went to another insurance company, all of their medical records that were being held by the original insurance company, those insurance companies didn't want to give that information to the patients. So therefore, when they went to a new employer, as an example, it had a different health insurance group policy, the new insurance company, they always want to know any pre-existing conditions in your medical history. You couldn't give them the facts. The old insurance company had it. HIPAA says since 1986, all of that data, those medical records, don't belong to that healthcare provider or any healthcare provider. They're allowed to possess them and read them and look at them, but not to disseminate them to anybody else unless you explicitly in writing authorize them to do that. That is that has its footprints, its fingerprints all over this crud that our federal government is trying to cram down your throat. Well, explain that. What does that have to do with getting a vaccine? Well, let me just take it one step further. You plan on making a trip to Manhattan anytime soon? You plan on going to a show or going up there to just get three or four days away and eat some great food? If you haven't been vaccinated, get set. Because when you go into that show, if it's off-Broadway or whatever, Broadway's not open yet, I don't think. But even one of the good restaurants, you're not going to believe what I'm about to tell you. Virgil's in Manhattan, Midtown. Now, we're talking about New York City, folks. I'm from the South. I love me some barbecue. Oh, my goodness. My son is a chef, and his ribs are the best I've ever had in the world, with the exception of Virgil's. Dan, there's a good barbecue place, one that good in New York City? I mean, that's way up on the East Coast. They don't do barbecue there. Well, Virgil's does, folks. It's on um, 44th, 43rd, it's, it's, it's it, uh, Broadway, Times Square. Um, it's half a block east of Times Square. I think it's 43rd, maybe 44th, but it's right there around Times Square in New York City. Do you know that if I want to go to Manhattan next week and I want to go to Virgil's, they're going to greet me at the front door by mandate of the mayor of New York, and I have to either hand them proof that I have been vaccinated, COVID-19, one of the three, or hand them a test result that is recent over the last week sometime that shows that I tested negative for COVID-19. Now, how does that violate the HIPAA law? Very simply, they don't have the right to force me to do that. Now, they can say they have a right to not offer me service, and of course, that's the way they would end up going. But let me ask you this. How many of these shop, how many people at that places like Virgil's and the old Carnegie Deli that they closed, dad gum them, one of the best delis in the world. I loved Carnegie. Anyway, 
How many of the people that own these places are really excited to know that they're going to have to turn people away that don't have proof of vaccination or a recent test? 30% of the people that live in New York are African American. And a majority of them, a majority, folks, more than 50% are unvaccinated. So, listen to this conundrum. Mayor de Blasio is married to an African-American woman. You would think that the mayor's household would determine and make sure that the guy that runs the household, (laughs) and if he's like at my house, I don't run the household. The woman here runs the household. I'm sure in de Blasio's house, it's the same way. You would think she would have a little input to her husband going on national television to announce that he was going to implement arbitrarily a very, very racist policy in one of the biggest Democrat states and, of course, one of the biggest Democrat cities in the United States. This, All of this stuff, folks, it's like, it's almost like everybody goes hunting and they're hunting for bears. And so there's a big group that go to some resort somewhere and they're spending the weekend or a long week and all these guys are big buddies and they're going to shoot bears. And so what are they going to use for guns and ammunition? Well, I can tell you, I've never hunted bears, but if I was going to hunt bears, I'm a hunter. I know you would take a very high-powered rocket. That's what you call a big, 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 big gun. And your ammunition would be a very high-powered singular shell with one projectile. That's the only way you're going to hit and kill a bear. Anything else you shoot a bear with, you're just going to hack him off, and you got to you got to be ready to run and run fast because they're faster than humans. All that being said, what if everybody in that hunting party showed up with shotguns with um, seven shot? What seven shot is is how many little BBs, the size of the BBs that are in a shotgun shell? Seven, seven, seven and a half, eight, even nine shot, or what you shoot birds with so you don't tear them up. What if everybody went hunting to shoot a bear and that's the ammunition they had? It's getting to where everybody's just shooting shotgun shells, seven shot shells up into the air and they're not getting the point across. They're not explaining themselves. The bear doesn't know what the heck is going on, but he knows the people that are screaming and pointing those shotguns at him and shooting, not buckshot, but shooting seven-shot dove dove shot at him. But they don't know what the heck they're talking about. Does that make sense? Do you understand? And yet this crud just keeps going on and on and on, and they're ramping it up. So let me ask you this. With all of the chaos going on at the government and in the medical community where all the experts reside, like Fauci and Dr. Walensky at the CDC, why do they just keep ratcheting down on us? Why do they do that? And then yesterday, this one comes out. Dr. Rochelle Walensky, she's on CNN yesterday. And this Delta variant thing that has popped up, which is a normal, natural in nature variant of a virus, she stated yesterday that with this Delta variant, 
COVID vaccines cannot prevent transmission anymore. Did you hear that? Now, she's not Fauci. <laughs> I, I think probably there's a good chance that she's more knowledgeable than Fauci, but let's just forget about that for a second. She is the go-to person at the CDC. She actually said on national television that because of this Delta variant, COVID vaccines cannot prevent transmission anymore. And so what was the purpose? What's the end game for her saying that? She urged people to get vaccinated to protect you from transmission to others, as well as to protect all of us from seeing a more aggressive emerging variant. And she continued by saying this, our vaccines are working exceptionally well. They continue to work well for Delta. That's the original version of the virus. With regard to severe illness and death, they prevent it. But what they can't do anymore is prevent transmission. So if you're going home to somebody who has not been vaccinated, to somebody who can't get vaccinated, somebody who might be immunosuppressed or a little bit frail, somebody who has comorbidities that put them at high risk, I would suggest you wear a mask in public and indoor settings too. Later, she continued by saying, the more we have viral replication, the more we have transmission, the more we are at risk of a new and emerging variant, and that is why it's so very critical to get vaccinated, not just for yourself, for your own personal health, to protect you from severe disease and death, but to protect you from transmission to others, as well as to protect all of us from seeing a more aggressive emerging variant. I just quoted the doctor, head of the CDC, verbatim, word for word. And I'm not a stupid person. I'm not. I was a 4.0 in high school, graduated in a class of 645, and I graduated in the top 15. Went to college on a full scholarship. I'm not stupid. I'm not bragging about that. That's just a fact. What I'm talking about here is I have read probably five or six times what Dr. Walensky said in this interview with Wolf Blitzer on CNN. And it's nothing but gobbledygook. It means absolutely nothing. If they respected you, if they respected me, and they really wanted us to make educated, knowledgeable decisions for ourselves and for others like they act like they do, she would have come out and explained it. Hey, listen, in our laboratories, we've been watching closely. We've been very protective of all Americans. We want to make sure we know that virus variants happen pretty much. They replicate and change a little bit. They do it in nature automatically when they're being confronted with antibodies. There's that nice word, antibodies, which, by the way, the CDC, Fauci, and others can't manipulate. Guess where all antibodies come from? They come from your body and my body. God created our bodies and he built in normal, everyday, natural antibodies to fight bacteria and viruses and other culprits that come after us. It happens thousands, even hundreds of thousands and millions of times every day to you and you don't even know about it. So why wouldn't a scientist like 
Dr. Walensky is supposed to be. Why wouldn't she get up there and give us a dumbed-down, ground-level, blue-collar explanation instead of just beating around the bush and telling us, hey, 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 you need to get vaccinated, and I'm going to tell you why. This thing is morphing. It's, it's got a variant, and when there's a variant, what you've taken is a vaccination and others have taken so far, it's not going to work to stop the transmission. So if somebody at your house doesn't, hasn't been vaccinated and you show up and you've got this variant, they're going to get it. So make everybody get, that's exactly what she said. And it is not, that's not scientific. She gave us no application, no research information no factual information. But you know what? What's so very obvious in all this, folks? When they get up there and they do this, they don't even understand how stupid it makes them look. I got to be honest with you. Fauci could put on a clown mask with a big red nose and get on camera and just continue to say the stuff that he's saying. He would get more laughs than most of the clowns at three uh, Ringling Brothers circuses. It's just as silly because very little of it makes sense. It's all wrapped universally. It's like there's a, oh, I don't know. I don't want to call it a conspiracy or anything, but they are all wrapped into this cloak of similarity to try to impact us to do things and say things the way they want us to without any regard to the truth or the realism of what they're saying to us and trying to get us to do. That's a fact. What a way to start the show this morning, huh? (laughs) Well, we're just getting started, folks. Don't go anywhere. Back with more right after this. Subway Restaurant Storytime Theater proudly presents Jack and the Beanstalk. Fee-fi-fo-fum. I smell the... I I smell uh, something delicious. Hey, little fella, what you got there? Oh, this? It's the big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Mmm, that does look tasty. It sure is. Climbing that beanstalk out there makes you hungry. Uh, You mind if I have a bite? Sure! I'll trade you for that goose over there with the golden eggs. You got a deal! Hungry for something big? Then pick up a big hot pastrami sub from Subway Restaurants. Layer upon layer of delicious hot pastrami stacked high and toasted to flavorful perfection on freshly baked bread. Topped with pickles, mustard, and melted Swiss cheese, it's the perfect way to satisfy any giant-sized appetite. Big Hot Pastrami available at participating restaurants for a limited time only. See restaurants for details. Subway. Eat fresh. Don't you want money for nothing? Yeah, you do. What's the catch? There is one. Anyone who wants it can have it. You just have to ask for it. Our three-day sleepaway camp is the perfect place to strike it rich. Who are we? Well, we're the number one dream makers in the region. And you are a motivated, driven, confident individual who has a desire to make it big. Run! Don't walk! Get your heart rate above 120. This is exciting. This offer is just for you because you deserve it. Come alone. So don't wait. The early bird catches the worm and the worm is a bus at 143 industrial way that leaves at dawn so grab destiny by the horns go on grab it it's yours for the taking money for nothing look we know that boy's gonna ask again so let's be ready fine i'll be him you ready ready 
Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. GoPhone, only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T, your world delivered. This is the truth your mama warned you about. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. And Dan Newman. Folks, just got the latest numbers from the CDC's BEARS section of their website. The vaccine adverse reaction uh, statistics that are turned into the CDC every week from uh, medical professionals around the nation. These are only the numbers that are turned in. These are not total. Uh, They're just obviously a fraction of the real numbers from around the nation. Estimate, it, it, these are estimates, and it's hard to determine what the real numbers are. Uh, we've talked to folks that say, at best, the real numbers are 10 times those that were given. But we've talked to people that said it's 100 times more. So it's somewhere in between. But anyway, this chronicles how many people have had adverse reactions to COVID-19 shots. Many of these result in death. Many of them result in permanent disability. And I mean some really bad stuff. So, as of last Friday, here are the numbers that were turned into the CDC. The J&J vaccinations, 658 died shortly after getting a vaccine. Moderna, 3,167 died. Pfizer, 8,511. And 38 people died immediately after vaccinations the originating or the type of vaccination wasn't reported. So that's a total as of January 1 until last Friday, the last or the second to last day of July, 730, 12,374 people have died shortly after being vaccinated for COVID-19. And then we just segue right back into the stories we've been talking about our first half hour. And there's another one. We'll add on top of that. Appearing yesterday at the White House's COVID-19 response briefing, the brain surgeon of all things COVID-related, Dr. Fauci said a third coronavirus vaccine shot for individuals with weakened immune systems is a very high priority for the Biden administration. Hmm. One reporter. We know that boosters are still under consideration. There's more openness to act on them for immunocompromised people faster. Can you tell us, Dr. Fauci, when immunocompromised people can expect those boosters to be available, and are there any updates? And then, of course, Fauci responded, immunocompromised individuals are vulnerable. They do not make, in general, an adequate response that we feel would be adequately protective. It is extremely important for us to move to get those individuals their boosters, and we are now working on that and will make that be implemented as quickly as possible because for us and for the individuals involved, it is a very high priority. Doesn't 
that just make you feel all warm and fuzzy? Don't you have a lot of confidence in what you hear coming from Dr. Fauci and Dr. Walensky? The irony of this entire thing, folks, is they don't see this the way that you or I do. Their fundamental preface on which they, they base everything they tell us is that, well, we're the experts. If we don't know, Nobody's going to know. And what we think has got to be the truth because we're educated. This is what we do. This is who we are. So let's just tell them what we think. And they're going to be like mind-numbed robots and just do what we tell them. And if anything changes after that, we'll just tell them we got to make a change. We won't ever admit that we made a mistake, that we were wrong. Oh, my gosh, we can't let them think that. That we're fallible? <laughs> That's not going to fly. So just march out there and tell them what you think. Meanwhile, guess what? Nobody, As I told you, nobody can get in uh, a sample of this mess and put it under a microphone and analyze a microphone, a microscope and analyze it for its contents. So they just continue to rave about it and tell us what to do, and they're guessing. They know some things that we don't know. One thing they do know is that it's probably, and I'm guessing here, it's probably a lot worse than they're telling us. But they certainly don't want to ever say, we're just not sure. A patient who died after being immunized against COVID during an autopsy was discovered had high levels of spike proteins in several organs. Now, yesterday, if you were with us, Kelly Nelson broke out and told you and explained what spike proteins are. They shed, they come off of the COVID-19 cells, and they'll grab a hold of anything around them, good cells. These spike proteins are all through these vaccines. We have at least been told that much. So the first ever postmortem examination of a COVID-19 death raised some serious questions about the Pfizer vaccine's effectiveness. It showed some new evidence of the virus spreading faster in immunized patients. A scientific paper that was published in the International Journal of Infectious Diseases, pretty prestigious entity, shows an 86-year-old nursing home resident received a single dose of the Pfizer vaccine. He died four weeks later. Pathologists discovered viral ribonucleic acid, that's RNA, in every vital organ of his body, every one of them. On January 9th, the man received lipid nanoparticle formulated nucleoside modified RNA vaccine in a 30 microgram dose. On day 18, He was admitted to the hospital for worsening diarrhea. Since he did not present with any clinical signs of COVID-19, isolation in a specific setting didn't occur. Laboratory testing revealed hypochromic anemia and increased creatine serum levels. That was on day 18, a week later, still in the hospital. Day 25, he tested positive for COVID-19, possibly from an infected patient sharing his hospital room. He died the next day of kidney and respiratory failure. 
Researchers reported his lungs, his kidneys, his tongue, his trachea, his cerebrum and his brain, and myocardium all had high RNA levels. The COVID-19 vaccine elicited an immune response but did not prevent the virus from spreading throughout his body. Results of our autopsy. This is what the coroner stated. Results of our autopsy case study in a patient with mRNA vaccine confirmed the view that by the first dose of vaccination against SARS-CoV-2, immunogenicity can already be induced, while sterile immunity is not adequately developed, they said. Now, what does this mean? The patient, before he got the dose, his body had already been in the process of creating natural antibodies to tackle it. And so when they gave this man the shot, the big massive percentage of it, we don't know how much because they won't tell us, was mRNA, manufactured RNA. It just beat back the antibodies his body was already doing. It just stopped their progression. It's, it's pretty much like the natural antibodies when they met some created manufactured antibodies that came from the vaccination, they said, oh, okay, you guys got it. We're just going to go over there and sit down and smoke a cigarette. So the natural ones were kind of nullified. And then the COVID-induced mRNA just took over his body. I wonder how many other times that's happened to other people. I wonder if we'll ever know. And to make it even worse, a brand new study found that individuals that have previously had COVID-19 show a more potent antibody response than those who were solely vaccinated for the virus. Now, this all came down at the Rockefeller University in New York, pretty prestigious facility. The analysis found that between a first and second shot of either the Pfizer or the Moderna vaccine, memory B cells of infection-naive individuals produced antibodies that evolved increased neutralizing activity against COVID-19, but also that no additional increase in the power or the breath, B-R-E-A-D-T-H, of this activity was observed. Then, and even after that, Again, we turn to natural immunity. We turn to herd immunity, terms that we've heard. We've heard from the very beginning. And both of those situations, Dr. Anthony Fauci consistently said, those aren't real. They don't happen. They may happen sometimes, but we can't rely on them. We've got to help nature. Meanwhile, some researchers determined not only do recovered COVID patients possess neutralizing antibodies up to a year after their infection, but that such infection at the same time assist in offering protection against the developing variants. You just heard from Dr. Fauci. Remember what I told you Fauci said? Immunocompromised individuals are vulnerable. They do not make, in general, an adequate response that we feel would be adequately protective. In other words, 
We know more than does Mother Nature. We want to help Mother Nature along. Mother Nature needs to come talk to us because we got it all taken care of. The severe respiratory syndrome coronavirus infection produces B cell responses that continue to evolve for at least a year. During that time, memory B cells express increasingly broad and powerful antibodies that are resistant to mutations that are found in variants of concern. Now, this is coming only in the natural kind, the kind that your body and my body make. How do they make it? How do they know when and what to do? (laughs) Folks, it's part of nature. It's in your DNA. It's in your biological constitution. You don't have to flip a switch every morning. You don't have to get on your knees and pray, oh, come on, cells in my body. Please create natural antibodies against this disease. We don't have to do that. God's already put the switch over in the locked open position, and it does it 24-7. So this analysis later, they went on to conclude that memory antibodies selected over time by natural infection have greater power than antibodies that are elicited or put in our bodies by vaccination. Additionally, the results show that boosting vaccinated individuals with currently available mRNA vaccines would produce a quantitative increase in plasma neutralizing activity, but not the qualitative advantage against variants that are obtained by vaccinating convalescent individuals. This information that this discovery adds to further mounting evidence detailing the level of protection natural immunity offers previously infected patients. Last month, Emory, one of the finest institutions in the nation, Emory University in Atlanta, published an extensive investigation describing the efficiency of long-term immunity against this virus. Similar discoveries have also been identified in research released by the Cleveland Clinic, the Washington University School of Medicine, and St. Louis, respectively. The Cleveland Clinic, by the way, those are the people that at the very beginning said, you don't need to do vaccinations. You don't need to. Your body's going to take care of this mess. Oh my gosh. And meanwhile, we got to turn on the political switch. We're talking about COVID-19, right? So we have to get the big shooters, the big players in the game. We got to get them in the middle of it all. Facebook, it's been reported now. Facebook, Zuckerberg and his posse coordinated closely with the Centers for Disease Control, the CDC, And they partnered to control the narrative of the coronavirus pandemic, including suppressing information. They call it alleged information. And Facebook gave the health agency free advertising that was estimated at $3 million. This is not a rumor. This comes from a FOIA, Freedom of Information Act, request from Facebook by Judicial Watch. And so Judicial Watch, they filed FOIA request 
regarding the CDC. And so the CDC released 2,469 new documents to Judicial Watch. In an email exchange, it was revealed in all this, started on January 26th of 2020, days after one senior program officer at the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, go figure, connected the CDC with Facebook. A representative at the social media giant informed the CDC of the actions it was taking in regards to combating what they term as misinformation on the virus, also known as the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19. It's titled the FB Coronavirus Narrative, FB being Facebook. Facebook writes that it was taking a three-pronged approach to the global response. First part of it, limit misinformation and other harmful content on our platform. How do they do that? They censor Americans. Secondly, provide accurate and helpful information on our platforms to our partners. Well, accurate and helpful, define that. Facebook's definition is this. It's whatever we say is accurate and whatever we think is helpful. That's what we're going to put out there. Anybody else wants to put anything out there? We're going to come in and turn their spigot off. Or we'll stamp it incredible, no credibility to what they're saying in this post. Third prong of Facebook's plan, empower partners with data tools. Now, what is that? Here's what they said. We're sharing aggregated mobility data and high-resolution density maps with our various partners, like National Tsinghua University in Taiwan, Harvard School of Public Health, and some other biggies. And we're doing that to help inform forecasting models for the spread of the virus as part of our broader Data for Good program. We're looking into this with a broader set of partners like the WHO and the CDC, and also helping partners understand how people are talking about the issue online through tools like CrowdTangle, to inform their efforts. In this next piece, it won't surprise you. Facebook said they're working with more than 60 fact-checking organizations. And these organizations, quote, review and rate content in more than 50 languages around the world in an effort to stop the spread of misinformation about COVID-19. To support the fact-checkers, Facebook invested in a $1 million grant program in partnership with the International Fact-Checking Network during the pandemic. And it's not through. I'm not even going to go into the rest of it. Let me just tell you this. The CDC is in the pocket of Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook. Period. So how do they determine what's true and what's false? It's what Zuckerberg's generals below him and Facebook tell the fact checkers is okay. Build this into our algorithm. Anything that doesn't fit within these parameters, anybody posting about COVID-19 or the vaccines or whatever, put a stamp on it, block it, put them in Facebook jail. They can't tell this and get away with it. They can't do it. Wow. Every day, folks, every, it just seems like every day, more of this craziness slips into the marketplace and we find out about it 
and we just we all just do SMHs. And I'm sure if you're a social media person, you know that SMH means shake my head. In disgust or disbelief or some combination of both of them. You do understand. You do know. I'm getting away from this. I'm through with COVID today on today's show. <laughs> we spent 50 minutes on this. It's critical. It's important. And you all need to know about it. But it just drags you down if you if you look at the lay if you don't look at the big picture, which, folks, the big picture is at the end of it all, we're going to be fine. We are going to be fine. We as a nation, we as individuals that pull together, we've always been able to get on top of any mountain that comes our way. We do it collectively. Now we are going to have to get through with this divisiveness, this hatred this drawing lines down the middle and demeaning everybody that has a different opinion about things than you do. We're going to have to do that to get there, but we always have. Sometimes it took a war. Sometimes it took knocking down a couple of towers in New York City. We're going to get through it. Whatever our challenges are, as long as we pull together, we'll never agree on everything. And don't expect that to ever happen. It won't. But we can reach a consensus, even if sometimes that consensus is, we're going to agree to disagree about this, but we're still going to work together for the common good. Those things, those interests that we share, we're going to put that first. And we're going to put our ideas on the table or in our back pocket for a while because this is a bigger issue. and We just got to work together to get there. So what's ahead on the second hour of the show? Well, you've got Governor Gavin Newsom. He is under fire, serious fire out there, folks, in California. CNN's actually fired some folks that are anti-vaxxers. I didn't think that would ever happen. And this monstrous part one of the new Biden infrastructure bill, you know, the little bitty one the one that there is some bipartisan support for in the Senate. My senator, one of my two senators from the state of Louisiana, Senator Cassidy, he came out, he went on Laura Laura Ingram's show on Fox earlier this week, and he just basically said, oh, all of this spending in this bill is taken care of. It's paid for. And I saw Mitt Romney say the same thing on the floor of the Senate. Well, guess what? Probably won't surprise you. It's not paid for. We'll get into that. And then Joe Biden's hard at it with his ink pen and his phone. He unveils an extra, like we have an extra $3 billion. He just decided that uh, he's got an extra $3 billion to spend in what he is terming local disaster funding. Now, let me tell you this. I think you've probably learned this at the same time I did. When our government, when our federal government does any kind of spending program and uh, they don't want to give us the details, oh, you know, this is going to help every blue-eyed person in America. (laughs) And they never define what the help is going to be or what's going to be included or what does help mean. Always what that means is we've got a bunch of gar holes, what I call gar holes, and all that is is a bottomless pit. They're going to spend money for, but we've dug down. We got the details. That 
Gavin Newsom, a whole lot more ahead. Uncertain about what you see and hear in mainstream media? Worried about getting the truth? No worries anymore. Get the truth, only the truth, at TNN, the Truth News Network, at truthnewsnet.org. Yo, some people think it don't make sense that I'm a horse whisperer. Fancy prance, yo! But you know what else don't make sense? Bye. I mean, it's good for you, but still somehow tastes amazing. Sideways fancy prance, you heard? Yeah. Clippity-clop, clippity-clop. Yo, I just whispered all of y'all. Too easy. Bye. Five calories, antioxidants, and tastes amazing? None of this makes sense. When your cable company keeps you on hold, you get angry. When you get angry, you go blow off steam. When you go blow off steam, accidents happen. When accidents happen, you get an eye patch. When you get an eye patch, people think you're tough. When people think you're tough, people want to see how tough. And when people want to see how tough, you wake up in a roadside ditch. Don't wake up in a roadside ditch. Get rid of cable and upgrade to DirecTV. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Hey, it's interesting. During the break, I got a follow-up text from our our uh, medical expert, our pharmacist expert that uh, tracks the VAERS reports that we give out every week when we get them. And I got a little addendum from this expert during our time out there. And here's what it says. I'm going to read it verbatim. Dr. Anthony Fauci recently said they would ultimately, the CDC, would ultimately like to have an antiviral pill that you could take at the beginning of exposure to prevent the infection getting into the lungs. Well, we have medications that do exactly that, Dr. Fauci. (laughs) This is coming from our expert, word for word. We have medications that do exactly that, Dr. Fauci, ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine. My guess is that Big Pharma working with the CDC, will tweak one of these medicines slightly so it can be patented. This will be the only medication approved. This way, Big Pharma can make billions of dollars selling it. End of quote. Selling it to whom? (laughs) Selling it to you and me. Folks, I have hydroxychloroquine in my medicine cabinet. Marianne had a horrible case of COVID-19 in our house, and she was really sick until our doctor weighed in and gave her hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, zinc, and a breathing treatment, and in three days she was well. My brother, his wife, their son, their daughter-in-law, all the same thing, went through the quick cares, the emergency cares, and all that kind of stuff during the the pandemic lockdown. They couldn't get anything. These places would only treat the symptoms, wouldn't do anything about it. They stayed sick for two weeks. And then they went to our doctor. And each of them, one of them in 48 hours, a couple of them it took two days, three days. They got right back on top. Before it really got serious, they took hydroxychloroquine with azithromycin and zinc. 
And no, there's no big money in hydroxychloroquine. I mean, the patent expired on that like 60-something years ago. When this all began to first be discussed, I checked into the pricing of hydroxychloroquine. First of all, you couldn't find it um, anywhere, a price in a, you know, a, a catalog or anything like that. And if you called a place like a pharmacy, regular pharmacy, they would say, oh, prescription only. And it's been being used around the clock for, for, for decades for immunolog- uh, immune, autoimmune problems. It's hard to put all those immune words together and get it, get it right. Lupus is one of those. We have a close friend that's been taking uh, hydroxychloroquine for lupus, very effective in her body for 50 years. But there's no money in it. The patent expires and you can buy it over the counter. And so that's what our pharmacy expert was saying by saying uh, big pharma, they're going to have to tweak it molecularly, biologically, so that it'll be just different enough so they can get their own patent on it and then they can sell it for big bucks and then with the CDC political tie-in with the Biden administration, they can make this the only drug that can be used for this is this one, so you got to buy it from us. Stranger things happen, but that happens all the time. So let's move on. What about Dr. (laughs) Governor Gavin Newsom, you think he acts a lot like doctors because he tells Californians what they're all supposed to do about COVID-19 and how to handle it while he and his minions do something totally different. Well, Gavin Newsom in September faces a recall election. Californians are sick of him and what he's done. And so a guy that I really like a lot an African-American guy. He is a radio talk show host, Larry Elder. You'll see him sometimes as a guest contributor on Fox News. He's really smart, and he's a Californian, and he put his name in the hat to run against Gavin Newsom in this recall election, and Elder's beating Gavin Newsom in the polls. So what does a good Democrat do? Well, Governor Newsom attacked Larry Elder yesterday during a Zoom call with some of Gavin Newsom's campaign volunteers targeting the candidate who is leading the contender to replace Newsom in the polls. In his attacks that obviously somebody recorded, he acknowledges that Elder, who is a popular figure, he's never run for office before, recognized Larry Elder as the leading threat to his tenure as California governor. Several polls show voters increasingly prepared to get rid of Newsom, put him to the curb. The most recent showed a majority of likely California voters were prepared to remove Newsom from office, which is a reversal from earlier. Yesterday, the LA Times reported Governor Newsom on Thursday attacked the Republican topping the field of candidates trying to replace him in the September recall election, calling conservative talk show host Larry Elder a climate change denier who would restrict abortion rights and in the minimum wage if elected. For months, Newsom has criticized this recall effort as the handiwork of far-right supporters of former President Trump and the Republican Party intent on undermining his election in 2018, shying away from personal attacks on the candidates, hoping to take his place in Sacramento. But in that Zoom call with volunteers working on this campaign, 
Newsom hit out at Elder, calling him a major Trump supporter, a rallying cry in a state won overwhelmingly by Biden in the 2020 election. Newsom also accused Elder of being a threat to abortion rights established under the landmark Roe v. Wade U.S. Supreme Court decision. Many of Newsom's attacks are inaccurate. That may not surprise you. Elder is not a climate change denier, for example, but he opposes the climate change alarmism that predicts doom for the world unless we drastically change in our economy. The San Jose Mercury News recently reported on Elder's views on climate and wildfires. And they clarified it. It's out there in the open public. But you see, Democrats, especially leaders like Gavin Newsom, they put no stock in the fact that Millions of Americans, hey, guess what, guys? We read the news. We listen to the news. When somebody says that somebody said this and whatever that somebody actually said is available in the public domain, we'll go fact check people like Gavin Newsom to make sure what he's saying lines up with what we found. That's what a real fact check does or does. About abortion... The Mercury News noted that Elder thinks Roe v. Wade should be overturned and that the issue of whether a woman has a right to an abortion should go back to the state. It's pitted Americans against Americans, and in my opinion, unnecessarily, Elder said, adding that he doesn't understand why anybody in California is worried since it's a left-leaning state with an overwhelmingly Democratic legislature that is unlikely to pass any new limitations on abortion, even if the Supreme Court passed it back to the control of each state. Elder has led contenders in every recent poll but one, which showed him neck and neck with Democrat real estate investor and YouTuber Kevin Paffrath. His numbers have only risen since state officials tried to keep Elder off the ballot, and he won that case in court. Known as the Sage from South Central, if he gets elected, Elder would be California's first black governor. Now, let me just end on this note. California, they're the social purveyors of everything righteous when it comes to skin color and ethnicity and religion. They're the ones that know it all. They're the most tolerant people on the planet. At least that's the picture they portray for all of us to believe have a heavy, heavy African-American population percentage in California. So if they're such great arbiters of all righteousness and goodness, why has there never been before an African-American in the governor's mansion in Sacramento? You don't think racism has any role in that, do you? Regarding this vaccination and pushback against it, I think it's interesting to note that yesterday CNN fired three of its employees because they refused to be vaccinated. Jeff Zucker, probably uh, of all the CEOs that I know about in major corporations, he's probably the least qualified, one of the highest paid, and his company does nothing but lose money for its parents' company, which is AT&T, by the way. He's the president of CNN Worldwide, and Zucker issued a statement yesterday in support of his decision to fire the employees. I am, I am l- releasing this statement that says, 
I did a good job by letting these people go. Here's what he said. You need to be vaccinated to come to the office, and you need to be vaccinated to work in the field with other employees, regardless of whether you enter the office or not, period. We expect in the weeks ahead showing vaccination may become a formal part of the Warner Media pass card process. The firing of three staffers comes after a number of CNN employees in 2017 resigned following the publication and the subsequent retraction of a story linking a Trump transition team member to the Russia-related investigations. In other words, fake news. So Zucker, he's putting himself in hot water. And that's nothing new. Nothing new at all for CNN. Have you have you tried to follow all of this hoo-ha about the so-called infrastructure bill? I mean, every day there's conversation about it and people lining up on all the major talk shows, pros and cons, yes, no, yes, no. Well, then, as I mentioned going into the break, one of my two senators, Bill Cassidy, he came out publicly on Fox News on the Laura Ingram show the other night, and uh, he tried to tie her in the knots, which nobody is going to do. Cassidy's one of the most arrogant members of Congress for a couple of reasons. Number one, I deal and have for 30 years almost exclusively with uh, people in the medical industry, and most of those are doctors. Cassidy happens to be a doctor, so he's got a complex. They all do. Additionally to that, he's a member of the U.S. Senate, which is the upper house of Congress, and most senators, not all, thank goodness, just like not all doctors have a God complex, most do, and most senators have one as well. And so he put his nose up in the air, did Cassidy, and he laughed, and huh, this thing, there, 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 there are spending savings and there are taxes that are moved around. This whole thing's paid for. Mitt Romney said something similar on the floor of the Senate. And Mitt Romney, though not a doctor, he's also got a God complex. Well, guess what? There's one official entity that scores every piece of legislation regarding spending provisions that are in it. It's called the Congressional Budget Office. Guess what they did yesterday? They took apart the infrastructure bill that's pending. And it's, it's being called a bipartisan infrastructure bill because several Republicans have crossed over and said they're going to support it. The truth comes out, and the bill would add a quarter of a trillion dollars to the U.S. budget deficit over 10 years. This came as Senate Republicans remain poised to advance the legislation yesterday and to possibly pass the bill with their compadres, the Senate Democrats, who wrote the bill. The University of Pennsylvania's Penn Wharton budget model also gives a dismal analysis of the infrastructure bill, noting it would have no significant impact on economic growth. The model also found the legislation's pay-fors would not meaningfully offset the cost of the mammoth $1.2 trillion legislation. So then, guess what happened? Right after the CBO released its analysis, Senator Steve Daines, a Republican from Montana, he said he was going to vote against the bill. Go figure. 
He said this bill would skyrocket the debt while Americans continue to feel the pain of surging inflation. He also noted this bill could lead Democrats to pass an even larger reckless spending bill. The next one, the part two, the part B of this infrastructure thing that Nancy Pelosi said would not happen unless this first one happens, and the first one wouldn't happen unless the second one happens. She's got that power. The House Speaker controls every piece of legislation that's allowed to come to the floor in the House, and if she doesn't want it there, it never gets to the floor and it never gets voted on. What's worse? Senator Tester, Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi will now turn right around and pass another $3.5 trillion in their reckless tax and spend spree bill filled with tax increases that will hurt Montana families, farmers, and ranchers. The Democrats are taking our country in the wrong direction, heaping huge amounts of debt on future generations. And I don't want to be cold, but I'm just going to say this, yada, 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 yada. Republicans want to paint Democrats as the big spenders, deficit hawks. They just want to grow the deficits. And the other side does the same thing. The truth is, folks, everybody in Congress wants more spending. Everybody does. Wow. So we're going to get in a minute to how they propose, they being Democrats, propose to get this spending in control and where's the revenue, the additional revenue necessary, where it's going to come from. But let's stay on the infrastructure deal for just a moment. You know, there is a guy in Congress, in the U.S. Senate actually, that uh, he caucuses with the Republican Party, but he's actually a libertarian. I'm talking about Senator Rand Paul from Kentucky. And he is definitely a spending under control kind of die. Uh, he's one of those guys that thinks it's prudent, even in government, to have a bottom line. And to have a bottom line that is not red, the only way to do that is you have to balance your revenue and balance your spending. You can't spend more than you have coming in. Well, the United States blew by that, that whole theory and way of thinking decades ago. We've been in deficit spending for many, many years, but never like we are today. And folks... Every American sees and looks at infrastructure as being a big deal. I mean, right here in my town, I, I, I live a mile away from Interstate 49 and about four miles away from Interstate 220. It's fallen apart. Both of those, well, I-21 and 220 is a loop around Shreveport and Bossier City that connects Interstate 20 of both sides going east and west. Interstate 20 has been around about 30 years. Interstate 49, about 20, 25 maybe. There's been no major construction project there. We have bridges all over the state of Louisiana that are literally falling apart. I mean literally falling apart. Other states are in the same thing, same place. Our interstate highways running east and west, our trucking industry it's absolutely necessary. We can't have an economy without moving goods and services, and principally the way that's done is on our highways, but those big trucks, big trucks weigh 40, 45, 
thousand pounds before they're loaded, folks. Especially in the South, especially in the summer, heat takes a toll when these big trucks are moving across these roads. Day after day, month after month, year after year. No major infrastructure jobs. We've got broadband, which is a huge deal now. America's connected to the rest of the world by internet. There are massive parts of the United States that if they have broadband available, it's on a very limited basis. Those are just the little things that we need to do. Everybody thinks that we need to do it. But folks, this infrastructure bill, the little one, we'll call it, they're talking about now, and the one to follow, the monster one, far more, way more than half of these bills, the money put in them, have nothing to do with infrastructure. Now I'm going to circle back, circle back Saki style. We were talking about Senator Rand Paul. Yesterday, he got a microphone out on TV. I can't, I, I'm not even sure what, what network it was. But he talked about infrastructure and the way it's been handled in Congress since he's been in Congress. And he compared that to what's going on now. Now, if you haven't had a cup of coffee, or if you've had one, maybe thinking about grabbing a donut or something like that, wait till after you hear him because you're going to get nauseated when you hear what Rand Paul rolled out yesterday to the American people. Mr. President, the Senate is considering an infrastructure bill, and I'm glad we are. For too long, Americans have been compelled to send their tax dollars overseas to improve the infrastructure of other countries. I've been fighting for several years to invest the infrastructure here, here at home, which is why I find it frustrating that the very people who are celebrating this bill today actually opposed my efforts in the past. We have a short memory here in the Senate. Only two years ago, I offered my penny plan for infrastructure for a vote. My plan would have invested nearly $40 billion in infrastructure over those two years. In those two years, nearly 20,000 miles of roads could have been resurfaced. Instead, those investments weren't made and two additional years of wear and tear passed by as we continued to send our money to pave roads overseas instead of paving roads here. The parade of senators who are now coming to the floor and expounding upon the urgency of this package Nothing less than shocking, particularly when those were the same senators who voted against 20,000 miles of resurfaced roads only a short time ago. The penny plan for infrastructure was not, only, was not my only effort to invest in infrastructure. Six years ago, I worked on a bipartisan package that would have made $130 billion available for infrastructure. Had my plan been enacted into law, Americans would now be driving on 130,000 miles of new roads without adding one penny of debt. So why, for more than five years, have, have my infrastructure proposals been stifled? For only one reason. Each of my proposals was actually paid for. Not fake pay-fors like this bill, but actually paid for where we don't add to the deficit. Now, if there's only one thing that Congress always seems to agree on, though, that's never to pay for anything. So as you see the spending blitz going on, the spending frenzy, you're going to see mountains of debt, trillions of dollars of debt. It's not the way we ought to be doing this. We should be paying for this bill 
and doing it by cutting waste and excessive spending from other parts of the budget. Proponents of this bill claim that it's paid for. They use gimmicks, budgetary gimmicks. They hope they'll erect enough smoke and mirrors to obscure this enormous price tag. But this $1.2 trillion bill is not paid for. And perhaps the most alarming part of the cost is the authors of this bill know that it's not paid for. We know that because they actually wrote into the bill so as to exempt it from the rules that require the bill to be paid for. You see, Congress back in 2010 mandated that new spending had to be paid for. That law is called statutory pay-go, or pay-as-you-go. And if Congress can't help itself and refuses to offset the cost of new spending, pay-go is enforced by an automatic cut to spending across the board. But Congress rarely adheres to its own rules. Instead, Congress waived pay-go more than 60 times over the past decade and added over $10 trillion to our debt. This time is no different. This bill, which its proponents say is paid for, also carries a provision that says PAYGO won't apply to it. The only way to ensure Congress adheres to PAYGO is through a point of order. That's what I'm putting forward. In this bill, if it were actually paid for, then you shouldn't have trouble supporting this point of order. But if senators vote to waive the point of order, if they vote to exempt Congress from its own rules, requiring that we be good stewards of taxpayer dollars, then these senators should tell, quit, you know, they need to stop telling people something that they know is not true. The truth is, this infrastructure bill is not paid for. And every American should ask a simple question. Why won't Congress obey even their own rules? This bill, plus the next pork-laden bill that will add trillions of dollars to the debt, we're adding debt at an unprecedented pace. There will be repercussions. A day of reckoning awaits. But today there's a choice to make. A vote for the point of order is a vote not to keep adding debt. I urge my colleagues to vote with me to stop the bleeding, to stop the red ink that threatens our country's very future. This message brought to you on behalf of the taxpayers of the United States of America who want our leaders in D.C. to spend the money that they collect in taxes and not spend money we don't have in the bank. What they're asking us to do. I'm just going to put in consensus what Rand Paul was saying, what the Senate is trying to do, what Democrats are trying to do, and in cahoots with a bunch of Republicans now, is they're trying to talk America into giving them a new credit card that has no limit on it. And just trust us, we're going to spend it for the right stuff. The lunacy of government in Washington, D.C. So, $256 billion upside down. $256 billion. Now, when it's projected that that's going to be the cost overruns and some new piece of legislation comes out, historically, it's never that number. When it actually rolls out, that 256 turns into 1 trillion, more than four times of what we were told that it was going to cost us. But you don't need to worry about any of this, folks. Democrats have got it taken care of. 
When it comes to finding money, these people are amazing. They can turn over a rock and find a $100 bill. I mean, just over and over and over again. They get money from anywhere. Anytime they want it or need it, they find some way to get it. The problem is that when they do, it mostly, well, not mostly, it always costs you and I more money. So they've got a plan for how to take care of their massive spending, this bill and other bills. Do you want to know what it is? Joining us now, back with us, is House Transportation and Infrastructure Committee member, Congresswoman Nancy Mace. Okay, Congresswoman, you know, two, all right, let's talk about this first. Two-thirds of the $3.7 billion in pork or earmarks are going to Democrats' home state projects. And now we have this. The infrastructure bill is floating a national mileage tax Basically, the more you drive, the more you te- the more you pay the government on the number of miles driven. I thought the president said he's not going to tax people below four hundred thousand. This is going to slam the middle class and poor people in the trucking industry. What do you say? Right. No, absolutely. I mean, the administration says one thing, but the reality is totally another in this case. And it shouldn't be any surprise to anyone that the majority in power, the Democrats, two thirds of of that spending that you mentioned will go to their home districts. Um, And, you know, part of the issue with the uh, national mileage tax is how are they going to track it? And when they do track it, what else are what other kind of data are they going to track on U.S. drivers? What kind of privacy issues are we going to have with that? And if you're going to do that, you certainly can't tax us at the fuel pump when we're getting fuel. Um, It doesn't that to my knowledge, and of course, I haven't had time to read twenty seven hundred pages, but it doesn't address the fact that electric vehicles, they're not paying a tax or a fee every time they refuel their batteries. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, the transportation secretary, Pete Buttigieg, he's floated this uh, trial balloon earlier this year, and then he walked it back saying, we're not going to do it. But now it's in the bill. I mean, this thing could pass. That's the issue. Right. I mean, and you're right about it, it privacy. We already have some. Yeah, go ahead. Take, take that on. No, 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 absolutely. I mean, and it will, I I believe it will pass under the guise of being, quote, bipartisan. But there are many of us that will not vote to raise taxes on the American people, particularly in the middle of a pandemic. But we're not in the majority. Um, And so Democrats, I would imagine, would have the vote votes. There's enough Green New Deal in there, I think, to satisfy moderates. Um, It's always say one thing in public, but what's happening is entirely something else. And the American people, the middle class worker, is going to be taxed. I don't care what the Biden administration says or uh, all these different spending plans. It's going to happen. So you're going to see public awareness campaigns about a mileage tax out of the Transportation Department with this phony idea that it's not hitting the middle class and poor when it will or the trucking industry. And your point about privacy is an important one. Do we really want the federal government vacuuming up where Americans drive when the federal government has been repeatedly hacked by North Korea, China and Russia? And we have smartphone apps already tracking with location services on their smartphones where you sleep, where you work, where you go to business meetings, where you go to church, which nightclubs or movie theaters you go to. Do we really want the federal government with all of that information? No, absolutely not. And how many cybersecurity bills has the federal government 
has Congress passed this year? Virtually none. And just last week, the Biden administration put an executive order out okay. on cybersecurity protecting America's data. However, that was just a memo. It doesn't do anything. And this bill, there's a lot of wasteful spending. And Amtrak gets, what, $58 billion? And this thing, they just got $2 billion in COVID Cut. relief funds, and their internet still doesn't work. There you go, folks. The answer when you need to find money, tax Americans. Let's go get some more from them. Forget about all the promises that we made to get elected last November. You know, no no more taxes, no new taxes, no new taxes. Folks, they're taxing the snot out of us by inflation. Have you tried to buy a gasoline gallon or two of late? You've paid a dollar a gallon more than you paid the day Joe Biden was elected president. What's changed? Well, what's changed is all of this egregious economical action taken by the Biden administration just hours, beginning just hours after he was inaugurated president, it began. And it all adds up. So we're paying already far more than we were paying eight months ago for the same services and the same goods. And now... In this bill, they want to tax how much you drive and base it on the mileage you put on your car that you bought and paid for. And while you're doing that, you're paying a dollar a gallon more for gasoline for no reason other than Joe Biden had to find a way to pay Vladimir Putin back for whatever reason. I don't know. But how else can you explain for his shutting down the XL pipeline, pulling the permit for it, and then greenlighting Putin's gas line to feed all of Western Europe with gas from Russia. He did that in two little swoops. And those things alone have already cost American tens of billions of dollars and hundreds of thousands of jobs. And now they want to tax you for the mileage that you drive. <laughs> and they're just getting started. Why don't we leave this comment? Let's go, let's go into something that's positive just for a minute. How about, do you know who Carly Lloyd is? Carly Lloyd. She was one of the few bright spots for the U.S. women's national soccer team in Tokyo this, this year. And she's a star now for leading the team in goals and in leading the team in patriotism. And she did that because she refused to kneel. She stayed on her feet while her teammates all took a knee. Now you would think Americans would be just elated about it, but guess what? Her doing this brought an avalanche of hate from leftists. Yesterday, Lloyd became the first U.S. woman soccer player to reach 10 goals at the international games. It was mostly because her performance in Tokyo that the USWNT meddled at all when they beat Australia to take home the bronze medal yesterday when all of these big far-left sycophants on the team, they thought they were going to dominate everything and they just got shut down, got skunked. The first game in the Olympics, Sweden smashed them three to nothing. Being one of the top female players in the history of women's soccer wasn't enough for the woke leftists, which proved that 
girl power is meaningless unless you also adhere to the proper level of wokeness. Lefties were all over social media attacking her, not congratulating her for setting a new record, 10 goals, more than anybody else, leading her team. And it wasn't Rapino with the purple hair. It was Carly Lloyd. Washington Post leftist Molly Hensley Clancy was shocked that Lloyd wouldn't take a knee like Little Miss Purple Hair and the rest of the woke squad. Hensley Clancy, here's what she said. I think Carly Lloyd has spoken about why she doesn't want to kneel during the national anthem. But I'm curious if anyone has asked her why she chose not to take a knee for a minute before kickoff, along with every other American player, staff member, and referee. Lloyd did once note that the nice thing about the U.S. women's national team is that they all have each other's back, whether they want to protest or not. I think the beauty of this team is that we stand behind each other no matter what. Lloyd said that back in January. And you know, players decided to kneel, some players decided to stand, and at the end of the day, we have each other's backs. Ultimately, we're here to support one another in any way that we can. That's what's amazing about this team. And regardless of that, even more lefties piled on to her. Somebody named Jax tweeted this, if she can't even kneel when it's not during the anthem when the rest of her team is, I'm just going to assume Carly Lloyd hates black people. (laughs) That's the default go-to. If you're not hard left, you got to be what you are and who you are because you're racist. Somebody named Rim, at Rim Catley, tweeted this, how come you can't even kneel before games? No anthem playing, so what's your excuse? Alex C., I think you're reaching a bit with that assumption. I'm saying this, mind you, while not being a fan of the U.S. women's national team, I very much doubt with 99.9% certainty that she's racist. All the U.S. women's national team players and staff knelt, all except Carly Lloyd. To say Lloyd is a somebody on the team is an understatement. Also surprised to see Australia didn't kneel and are actually standing in solidarity opposite the U.S., Not sure what's going on here, but interesting. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. You know, all that really matters, folks, we won the bronze medal. Led by Carly Lloyd, we won the bronze medal. It wasn't Rapino that led the team. She's the best of all time. If you don't believe that, just ask her. It's by a patriot. Somebody proud to be an American. Somebody proud to represent their nation in Tokyo, in Olympic competition, somebody that set a record in scoring the most goals. And all they want to talk about is she didn't kneel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there anything else going on? (laughs) Is there anything else going on? What about this craziness going on in defunding the cops. Have you kept up with any of that? You know who Cori Bush is? Cori Bush is a, uh, a freshman member of the House of Representatives, a Democrat African-American from Missouri. And she, I guess unofficially, is a member of 
AOC's squad. Well, she, folks, she is amazingly and nastily into the defund the police movement. Now, you remember the McCulloch family, the, the husband and wife, when Black Lives Matter, they were demonstrating and protesting in Missouri and St. Louis and were marching through these neighborhoods. This mob, uh, they were walking down a street in the McCulloch's new house they had just finished renovating, a big, big, nice uh, historical building. And these people actually broke through a fence and were going to walk through uh, the McCulloch's yard. And they were verbally threatening the McCulloch's that went outside. Well, the McCulloch's both stood there with guns. Well, they got arrested for doing it. And uh, they ended up being charged and were convicted of minor offenses. But the minor offenses they were convicted of was going to impact their ability to execute the Second Amendment, which gave them the right to arm themselves to protect themselves. And so the Republican governor of Missouri, day before yesterday, gave them a full pardon for what they had been through. Cori Bush went absolutely freaking hysterical. She's been all over the internet, all over news shows, just blasting not only what the governor did, but what white people are doing. I just want to give you a little glimpse of the insanity on these, the part of these far lefters, lefties, and how vile they can become and how much, how much hatred has consumed them. Listen to Cori Bush. Uh, Congressman, before we let you go, let me ask you about something else um, aside from the moratorium. Uh, you faced some criticism in recent weeks over your push to uh, defund the police. Um, campaign records show that you spent roughly $70,000 on, on private security, and some critics say um, that move is hypocritical. Um, what's your response to those critics? They would rather I die? You would rather me die? Is that what you want to see? You want to see me die? You know, because that could be the alternative. So either I spend $70,000 on private security over the last few months, and I'm here standing here standing now and able to speak, able to help save 11 million people from being evicted, or I could possibly have a death attempt on my life. And we're also talking about the same exact people who say horrible things about me, who lie to get to, to build up their base. And then because they lie about me, I receive death threats. Mm. Now, they don't address the fact that I receive death threats after they go on air and say horrible things about me. But then they want to say, oh, but she wants, she needs private security. I have private security because my body is worth being on this planet right now. I have private security because they, the white supremacist, racist narrative that they drive into this country, the fact that they don't care that this black woman that has put her life on the line, they can't match my energy, first of all. This black woman who's, who who's puts her life on the line, they don't care that, my, that I could be taken out of here. They actually probably are okay with that. But this is the thing. 
I won't let them get that off. You can't get that off. I'm going to make sure I have security because I know I have had attempts on my life and I have too much work to do. There are too many people that need help right now for me to, to allow that. So if I end up spending 200000 if I spend 10, 10, 10 more dollars on it, you know what? I get to be here to do the work. So suck it up and defunding the police has to happen. We need to defund the police and put that money into social safety nets because we're trying to save lives. Um, Congresswoman, take a breath. Did you get all of that? Do you need me to play it again? <laughs> if you're like me, you don't want to hear her again. I just, I, I listened to that. I watched it. I watched it. I, every, every news show last night pretty much had it on. They even went through, there's even more to the interview and it just got worse. If it could possibly get worse than that. But she just, just in that, how long was that? Let me let me look and see. How long was that soundbite? Two minutes and 10 seconds. In two minutes and 10 seconds, she just obliterated everybody that is non-black. And if you're non-black, you're automatically a white supremacist. And everybody hates her that's a white supremacist. And everybody that is a white supremacist hates her. Well, how does she know they're a white supremacist? Because they're white. Now, what does that mean by definition of all of the African-American leaders throughout history? Thinking that somebody is something specific because of their skin color is racist. It defines racism, but don't you dare say what she said is racist because she's above that. She's a member of Congress. And by the way, she has an extra 70 grand to pay for her own private security. The McCullochs didn't have that when a mob broke down a iron fence and began to walk across their yard telling them they were being told while they're standing out on the front steps of their home that these people are going to go in their house and they're going to rape Mr. McCullough's wife and they're going to take over and live in these people's house. And then she's mad because the McCulloughs were charged for doing something that really wasn't illegal. Second Amendment gave them the right to, in, in, in the case of imminent danger in their personal safety, they could arm themselves. I mean, that's fundamentally been confirmed again and again at the U.S. Supreme Court. So they're, they're found guilty in a state court, and as often happens, you know, Lady Liberty is not always right, always fair, but not always right. And in some cases, pardons are given. Barack Obama gave more pardons than any other president in history. In fact, he gave more combined than the previous 10 presidents that served before him. He's, he, by the way, was African-American, although he was 50% white. He's still considered to be the first African-American president. That is, of course, unless you're Morgan Freeman, a real African-American who said very publicly that he wanted people to stop calling Barack Obama the first African-American president because he wasn't. He's mixed race. And Morgan Freeman said, I'm African-American. Barack Obama isn't. That's a story for another. But what, what this is all about is ramping up and fomenting racism. 
And anybody of any skin color, folks, can be racist. It's not about skin color. It's about weaponizing people's differences to use against somebody who is different from you. And you can pick a multitude of reasonings for doing so and uses of the weaponized piece of racism as as a weapon. You can think of a million of those. But Cori Bush, in that two minutes and 10 seconds, she just epitomized and put all in place what elitism is all about. Elitism is the ability to spin a narrative and get people around you to believe that you're not only different from them, but that you're better than them. And because of your differences that make you better, you have some, uh, I guess, unilaterally claimed right to impose upon everybody that you want to anything you want to impose upon them. You want to have impunity to do anything that you want without having to pay any price. Just because you think it, just because you want it, that makes it all okay. Corey Bush, I don't know the lady. I've never met her. I've heard her in several cases where she's just blasted that narrative and it just got worse yesterday because she was really hacked off really hacked off, and she wasn't hacked off for any other reason other than McCullough's got pardoned. And then that reporter had the unmitigated gall to ask her about any possible hypocrisy in that she used $70,000. It wasn't hers, incidentally. She didn't write a check for seventy grand. It came from her campaign fund. I wonder how many people that she went to that wrote checks to her that totaled $70,000 plus I wonder how many of those people know when they wrote those checks to her, to her campaign, that she was going to use that for personal security. I I have no idea. I'm just speculating and wondering. In the real world, I doubt that there were anybody that felt that way when they cut those checks. More spending by Joe Biden. The White House yesterday announced more than $3 billion dollars and additional funding for projects to increase state and local resilience to storms and other climate-related disasters. Jen Psaki told the reporters there would be more than $3.46 billion in new funding through the Hazard Mitigation Grant Program, which funds projects that mitigate disaster risk to people and property. Homeland Security later confirmed that under this program, any state, any tribe, or any territory that received a federal disaster declaration during the COVID-19 pandemic is going to have access to 4% of the disaster costs to put toward climate change resilience and mitigation efforts. So there's no reality in some of this, or there may be, but there is no proven reality in it. But what they're going to do is they're going to take uh, at least $3.46 billion. They're going to say it's for disaster mitigation, but what it really is, it's going down the government gar hole. That's the hole in the bottom of the water in the swamps of Louisiana where these big gars go down and hide. And down in the gar hole, a lot of politicians in D.C. find ways to stash a lot of tax dollars down there that nobody sees. And it just kind of goes away. And they use it for whatever, whenever they want to use it. 
disaster relief. And oh, by the way, that includes climate change. It's just another way to waste our tax dollars. Now, you just heard from Cori Bush. Let's hear what Jen Psaki in the White House had to say about that. Psaki responded to questions about Cori Bush after she told Americans in that interview you just heard to suck it up and that defunding the police has got to happen. Here's what Jen Psaki said. There may be some in the Democrat Party, including Congresswoman Bush, who disagree with Joe Biden. That's okay, Saki said, but I would say the majority of Democrats also agree we should not defund the police. Saki claimed that Biden didn't support defunding the police, even though he agreed to the idea of, in his words, redirecting funding from the police. And that came in an interview during the 2020 campaign. Yes, absolutely, Biden replied when he was asked by one far-left activist about redirecting some of the funding for police to other causes, despite placating the left in the Democratic 2020 presidential primary, Biden has expressed grave concerns that the defund the police message has cost Democrats politically. There are a bunch of folks say right now that this craze by many on the left to defund the police is going to cost them control of the House and the Senate in the midterm elections coming up next year. Biden warned black activists in December last year that Republicans beat the living hell out of us across the country with the message about defunding the police. We're not. We're talking about holding them accountable, he claimed. In July, Biden said Republicans were lying, trying to paint him and the Democrats as anti-police. They're lying, he said. That came up in that CNN town hall with anchor Don Lemon. He argued that never, never have called for defunding the police. Mr. President, listen to this. Always, always, the far left continue to call for the police. And there's legislation now pending in Minnesota to do just that. And guess who is bankrolling it all? George Soros, we found out last night, is bankrolling a group pushing to dismantle and replace Minneapolis's police department. Money from the liberal, the hard leftist, billionaire George Soros, is fueling that initiative. It's the Open Society Policy Center, which is an advocacy nonprofit that is part of George Soros' social network, provided a half million dollars in donation to vote yes for Minneapolis in November, a month after it was established, the records show. The group is a coalition of at least 33 different activist organizations. It's pushing a ballot initiative to amend the city charter and they want to replace the police department with a public safety agency. No definition, (laughs) no facts and structural information. Hey, just trust us and vote for it. We're going to replace it with a public safety agency, and we're going to take care of all the public safety in this new public safety agency. We'll tell you after you voted in what that means. Since then, Vote Yes for Minneapolis has raked in slightly more than a million dollars in cash, 
Open Society is a longtime funder of efforts to secure racial justice and equity. That came from an Open Society Policy Center spokesperson. We're proud to support local organizations who are engaging in their elected leaders, their city officials, their neighbors, on how best to achieve community safety and well-being. This has included a wide range of approaches to public safety. We defer to the judgment of our grantees on what works best to achieve safety and healthy communities. You want me to interpret that? Hey, we'll let you guys in Minneapolis decide after the fact what this all means. We know that the only thing that really matters is that we're going to disband the police force in Minneapolis and we're going to put something else in there. What are we going to put in there? We don't have a clue. We don't know what it's going to look like. And we're not living in Minneapolis and we don't live in Minnesota. But what we want to do is start this thing and see what it looks like. We want to watch Minneapolis degrade into lawlessness. But we want what happened a year ago in the aftermath of George Floyd's death in Minneapolis. We want it to look like that 24-7 in every big city across the nation. And the only way we can facilitate that ultimately to destroy American democracy is to start one big city at a time. So here's your check. (laughs) Vote yes for Minneapolis collected $1,022,000 in cash since it got formed last year. Meanwhile, a group called All of Minneapolis, which opposes the ballot initiative but supports police reform, has taken in $109,000 in the past three weeks. Vote for Yes Minneapolis includes activist organizations like Color of Change, ACLU Minnesota and Socialist Alternative formed in the aftermath of the George Floyd debacle where George Floyd sadly lost his life Memorial Day last year. We're not through with ugly stuff going on, folks. MSNBC, or as Sean Hannity calls them, MSDNC, Jason Johnson on the network, Listen to what he said. The show's called Deadline. He said that the Republican Party only supports the cops when they are beating up black folks. And they do that, according to him, Jason Johnson, in support of a white nationalist ethnostate. Ethnostate. Never heard of that. He said, I know exactly where we are. It doesn't shock me. It's not hypocritical. It's actually very consistent for the Republican Party for the last 10 years or so. Of course, they support cops when you're beating up black folks. Of course, they support the blue when it's Black Lives Matter. But they don't like the police if the police stand for order in the face of white nationalism. They don't like the police if the police stand for order against an authoritarian government that they desire. And that's what this boils down to. And he wasn't through. He said the Republicans simply want power. They want a white nationalist ethnostate. That's what they want. They're not subtle about it. Every voting legislation, every war they voted for, that is what they have been about ever since Donald Trump got the nomination. Every war, every war they voted, every war they voted for since Donald Trump got the nomination. 
Let's see, we didn't have any wars. Donald Trump was the first president to not send a troop anywhere in the world. Joe Biden has always been known as a hawk. He's already on his watch, bombing places, attacking places and people around the world without going to Congress, by the way. Nobody's talking about that. But anyway, this guy says that Republicans are warmongers, every war they've ever been a part of since Donald Trump was nominated. They don't care who they have to sacrifice, whether that's people in central Texas having to die over COVID or police officers in the Capitol. They don't care who dies. They don't care if it's kids in Sandy Hook. As long as it is about accruing power to a white nationalist ethno state. Now there's a guy, I guarantee you. He and Cory Bush may not be big buddies. They may not be best friends. But I tell you this, they have each other on speed dial because they sure talk and think alike. Hey, folks, weekend coming up tomorrow, Saturday, our Saturday morning bullet points. Get a wrap-up of the week, highlight of all the big stories. I want to encourage you to have a great weekend. Try to put the fear of uncertainty behind you. Spend time with your family and friends. Have a great weekend. We'll see you back here first thing Monday morning, 9 to 11, Monday through Friday, Central Time, every day of the week, Monday through Friday, on TNN Live. Enjoy the weekend. See you then.